Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Goodyear Ballpark in Arizona. Now, I, I know, I know, these scores don't matter, but it's the rhythm of the show. So I'm gonna say it, but I really don't care. The final from Goodyear Ballpark in Arizona. It's the Cincinnati Reds four, the Cleveland Guardians three. That's right, we've got our first action of spring training under our belt. The games have begun. It's real. The uh, the thaw of winter is melting and baseball is back. And it's a little bit, uh, it's got a little pep in its step. It's a, it's a little bit snappier. It's a little bit quicker. Did you notice that? Did you notice the breezy game time of two hours and 23 minutes? And it's all thanks to the new pitch clocks. So let's get into it. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that first game. And we'll talk about some of the news going on this week. We got an email uh, in the inbox with a couple of questions from our friend Chris. And uh, we'll get to that too. So some fun things to talk about here to kick us off uh, in our first spring training episode. So first things first, action on the field. Let's talk a little bit about this game. Now, you know, the, the the final score of the game never matters in spring training, but some of the details do matter. And, you know, the big storyline coming out of this game is that the Guardians attack in the first inning and do things the way that they're going to do them. I mean, they come out in that first inning, Quan with a single, on an area single goes first to third, and then scores on a wild pitch. So small ball wins the day. Uh, he would have scored anyways because Naylor singled off a left-handed pitcher to start spring training. Are you are you kidding me? Did Josh learn a new trick over the winter to handle those lefties? Uh, so that was nice to see. So yeah, three hits, three singles to kick off the season for the Guardians. So yeah, their brand of baseball is definitely back this season. Now they do add some more runs via the home run which was a little unexpected. but uh, And the two guys that go deep, I bet you didn't have this on your uh, uh, DraftKings, uh, on your MGM betting apps or whatever you're using out there. I I do not do the sports gambling. So do, you're not listening to this podcast for gambling advice if you're into that. But uh, Fry goes deep for the Guardians. Uh, the, the utility catcher... First, third guy, David Fry, hits the first home run for the Guardians. And I bet you, I bet you didn't expect that. I bet you were uh, leaning a different direction. And uh, Fry comes up with it. And Roman Quinn, who is this this speedy, strong-armed outfielder that we got that bounced around from Philly to Tampa Bay last year, uh, who's supposed to just be known for his defense and speed, not for his bat. He comes up with a solo home run, too. So that's how the Guardians get their three runs in this game. But uh, Fry's interesting because he has versatility. I don't know what his skill set is really like behind the plate as a catcher. He's played a lot of first and third uh, for Columbus last year, but he had 17 home runs last year in AAA, and he does have pop in his bat. Um, so it's interesting. He's the guy who was the player to be named later when we sent JC Mejia to the Milwaukee Brewers. So how about that? A player to be named later actually coming back around and, uh, 
has a chance to maybe maybe make some impact as the backup catcher. You know, backup catchers play more than some other backup positions on the bench. So uh, that would be interesting. I mean, he'd have a he has a big big mountain to climb to catch the maybe the greatest player to be named later ever in the history of the Cleveland franchise, Michael Brantley. Right, thrown in the CC Sabathia trade also to Milwaukee. Matt Laporta, the centerpiece of that trade. We knew there was another name out there, a player to be named later. I think it was a couple of weeks. It was a couple of weeks after, and the name pops up, and it's Michael Brantley, the outfielder. I think I was working on Les Levine's show at the time, covering this stuff. Uh, so yeah, and uh, Brantley obviously goes on to have this, you know frankly underrated kind of awesome career like it'll be interesting when Michael Brantley is ready to finally hang it up what the what the retrospective is on his career right uh I mean I don't think we ever thought Michael Brantley would make the hall of fame but I had a feeling that he's he's gonna be celebrated somehow here in Cleveland when he finally hangs him up maybe he makes the Cleveland franchise you know the Cleveland hall of fame out there in center field uh but yeah, so maybe the greatest player to be named later player in franchise history. Uh, I have not done the full research on that. But David Fry, maybe maybe there's an opportunity for him at backup catcher. Uh, so yeah, so that was the interesting stuff from this game. I mean, Quan got interviewed by uh, by Andre Knott, uh, you know, during one of the innings after he came out of the game. And I got to tell you, Quan... Sounds like a veteran already. I mean, that guy just has so much poise and presence. Uh, you throw him on a microphone, he's not phased. Uh, he's perfect on that microphone. He sounded like a veteran out there giving an interview. And this is guy's second, you know, going to be his second season in the majors. And uh, it feels like a leader on the team. I mean, being the leadoff hitter does give you a little bit of cachet in the clubhouse, right? You are the tempo setter. And he sets the tempo. Him and Arias go back-to-back with singles, uh, I believe, in the first and the third in this game. So that's just awesome to see. And I got to say, you know, we, again, it's a little bit of a joke in spring training. But we do MVP for the week. And it's it's only one game. But you got to say, MVP for the day might go to Quan. Uh, I heard him on the radio broadcast make a nice running catch out in left field. He gets the two hits from the leadoff spot. Stephen Kwan picks up exactly where he left off in the second half of the season where he was one of the best hitters. I think they threw a stat up where he had like the second most hits of anyone in the second half of the season in Major League Baseball. So literally picking up right where he left off. So it's only one game, but MVP for the week. I got to give it up to Stephen Kwan to start things off like that. So that was exciting. It was exciting to see the team back on the field. Quantrill pitching. Uh, we didn't learn a we did learn an interesting nugget about Quantrill, who's going to be pitching for Team Canada in the World Baseball Classic, and they are playing their first round games in Arizona. So he is going to get to hang out with the team, do all his training at the Goodyear Complex, and show up for Team Canada's games. So uh, he gets a really nice situation there. I think they said Richie Palacios has to go to like Japan or something like that for his, for the Netherlands first round games. So a little bit different situation for Palacios, uh, you know, halfway around the world where Quantrill gets to hang out with the guys, with his coaches. 
His uh, dad is going to be the bullpen coach for Team Canada, so that'll be fun. And uh, I think they said he even has a house out there. So he is really set up nicely uh, for this first round of the Baseball Classic. He was your leadoff pitcher uh, in this game. Goes an inning and a third. uh, Gives up two hits and two runs. But, you know, none of that really matters. He's healthy. He's throwing. He's going to be an important part of this season. All right, so that was pretty much the action from the first game. The the real storyline, honestly, of the first game was the pitch clock, and it came up a couple of times. Uh, Luckily, it wasn't in any impactful situations like it was, I think, did you see the Red Sox game where it was bases loaded, ninth inning, tied 6-6, full count, and the batter gets called out on a pitch clock violation. Now, obviously... Obviously, they're going to be super strict in spring training. They've been instructed to be super strict here in spring training to, you know, to make sure the guys understand the rules, understand how these things are going to be called. They they get comfortable with it, right? They got to be a little bit uncomfortable with it in spring training so that they're comfortable with it by the time the season starts. But very extreme situation there in Boston where, you know, that's, I mean, spring training game, so it doesn't matter. But still, it's the ninth inning tie game, bases loaded, full count. It's the situation you joke about as a little kid, and it kind of gets taken away from the hitter because he wasn't set in the batter's box with eight seconds left on the clock. So he gets the violation, he gets the strike, and the inning's over. So we'll see how strict that becomes as the season goes on. You see this in other sports. You see this all the time, right? Basketball at the beginning of the season, the refs are super serious. They're calling every hand check, right? Those guys on defense and uh, penalizing them. Uh, You see it all the time in the NFL where they're super strict in the preseason in the first few weeks on, you know, whatever the NFL wants to crack down on, defensive holding and stuff like that, right? And they're super strict and there's a ton of whistles to start the season. It'll be interesting to see if baseball is the same way. If there's just a ton of these... These clock violations, maybe throughout the first month. And then, you know, when we get into the second half of the season, if these things calm down a little bit, the umps are a little slower to step out from behind the plate and make that call in an impactful situation, right? There's a difference between calling it in the second inning, you know, of a nothing, nothing game, nobody on base versus bottom of the ninth tie score full count. It's a little bit of a different situation. So, uh, I think a couple of the Guardians pitchers got penalized uh, for it. I think I saw Curry, Xavion Curry, get called a ball on him on a 2-2 count. Uh, they just didn't get out of his hand fast enough. Uh, he came set, I think, around one or two left on the clock and ran out of time. So uh, Quantrill said he didn't mind it. He said he was he was his pace was staying ahead of the clock anyway, so he didn't. It didn't really even phase him. Uh, he was just. It was kind of nice to have something pushing him to work fast. So he adapted to it pretty quickly. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how everybody else adapts to it. We all want to see Karinczak out there, right? We all want to see what that guy's going to do with his crazy routine to stay ahead of the pitch clock. So that was another storyline from this game. Frankly, man, I, I really, really like these games being back around two and a half hours. Uh, they talked about it on the TV broadcast a little bit, where from like the 50s to the 80s, these games did 
average around two and a half hours. And then they started to balloon where now in the last few years, we've been over three hours per game. And it's, it drags, it does. And then even, you know, a game starts at seven, you're trying to stay with it, but you know, you got to put the kids to bed. You got to put yourself to bed, frankly. Uh, And the game starts creeping over 10 o'clock. It's hard to stay up for the end of it. Or it's hard to stay engaged the whole time. We're in Cavs season right now, right, in Cleveland. Cavs, Cavaliers basketball season. Those 7 o'clock games, they're 9-20, 9-30. Those games are wrapping up, and it's nice. It's breezy. The NBA is breezy. And uh, I know the playoffs, it changes a little bit, but those regular season games, they, they got a tempo. They move. Before you know it, that first quarter's already over, and you're like, I'm still chopping vegetables to cook dinner. Man, this thing's cooking. So... Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see baseball get up to that tempo. And I, I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you're going to, I think when a game's, when class is in, in the ninth inning for that save, and it's like 920, 930, I think you're going to like it as opposed to like 1015. So, uh, I, it, it sucks to have a clock in baseball because the game itself shouldn't need it. It's not designed to have a clock. But these guys got ridiculous. The batting gloves and stepping out of the box. And yeah, we all joke about how Mike Hargrove was the human rain delay, but it was getting ridiculous. So it's nice to see them uh, kind of come up with a solution to rein it in a little bit and pick up that tempo. I'm someone who's out there, man. When I'm out there in old man softball, if you've never listened to the show, I bring up old man softball a lot because that's what I play. Sunday mornings, old man softball. I, I need a tempo. I need those games to be moving. I can't be standing around the outfield too long. It drives me insane. Get in and go. Get in and go. Let's get the games going. All right. Um... Other news coming out of spring training right now that I want to hit before we get to Chris's email. Uh, I just, first off, Francona, every spring training, there's the guy who's in the best shape of his life, right? There's a guy who gives the interview uh, ahead of spring training. Ah, yeah, I'm feeling great. I'm in the best shape of my life. Uh, That guy, I think this year, is Terry Francona. Now, maybe not the best shape of his life, but the best he's felt in a few years, uh, sure. So he gave that speech, which I thought was funny because it always comes from somebody. I never expected it to come from the manager. But after all the surgeries and all the things, he's finally feeling good. He kind of ruins it a little bit with his pregame speech where if you didn't hear the stories from Zach Meisel or one of the other beat reporters... Uh, he gets himself all worked up. He ends up falling and chipping a tooth. It's like his worst preseason speech of all time. He's just got himself like too nervous about it. It's strange that Francona is such a great leader of this baseball team. And yet he like gives this one speech a year. It's like his thing. I give one speech a year and then I let him go. I, I, I don't know. It would be really interesting uh, to be a fly on the wall in that clubhouse to see how much interaction Francona has with the players. Like, frankly, we, we don't know these things. We don't learn these things. Uh, it would be interesting for, you know, an outlet like The Athletic or Cleveland.com, you know, the old plain dealer uh, newspaper in town to give us a little bit more information. Maybe do, a, you know, a long-term article on, like, what 
the role of the manager is, the interactions between the manager and his players on a major league baseball team, right? How much how much does the interaction does he have or do those bench coaches and, you know, Sandy Alomar and the bullpen coaches and hitting coaches, are they just doing, you know, all that player-to-player interaction and Francona's just managing his managers, right? Right? I don't know. It, it'd be interesting to hear, but it's always funny that he does this one big speech a year and uh, I don't, from all reports, it didn't go, it didn't go the way he imagined, but... Francona gets the award for the guy coming into camp in the best shape of his life. So uh, the other thing, the other side of this coin, is that there's some guys dealing with injuries. Now, some of them are a little bit small. Miles Straw, I think it was like a hamstring thing. He's a little tender to start the season, so he's not going to be there right away. Uh, Cody Morris is dealing with something. That's a little bit concerning because I had some pretty high hopes for Cody Morris. Uh, coming into this season, I, I really think he's going to be an impactful pitcher, whether it's starting or in the bullpen. Uh, I think that dude's got a he's got a future somewhere on this pitching staff. And uh, so to get off to a slow start because of an injury, that sucks for him. The big one out there, the big name you probably heard on Guardians Twitter being talked about uh, was Esp- uh, Esposino. And look, Daniel Esposino, he's our, he's our top prospect, according to some outlets obviously someone who we're all kind of counting on to come up and be be ace level be an ace level pitcher and he's dealing with another injury another setback the guys had a couple of injuries piling up on him now and yeah you do start to get some vibes of some other pitchers Danny Salazar comes to people's mind of someone who has all the talent in the world but injuries just would injuries hold him back like they did Salazar uh, and interrupt his career? It's it's difficult, but but Guardians fans, you gotta calm down a little bit on some of these things because I mean this is the way a Major League Baseball franchise is built. The reason you have a ridiculous minor league system. With so many minor league teams and so many minor league players and such a churn of players is because nothing is guaranteed with these young guys. Nothing is guaranteed with these prospects. It's not like the quarterback you drafted with the number one pick in the NFL draft and you need this guy to work out. Your entire franchise will be set back 5-10 years if this guy doesn't work out. Baseball isn't built like that. The NBA, right? You guy you're drafting in the top five of the NBA draft, you need that guy to be a cornerstone for your franchise. You need to be him to be someone that your whole franchise can pivot and grow with. Not the same situation in baseball. Yes, Esposino like could be a game changer. If he makes it here and he is that next Cy Young level ace for the Cleveland Guardians, especially with Shane Bieber probably walking out the door after, you know, another season or two, chasing the that huge contract, the three, four hundred million dollar contracts that are gonna be thrown around. Uh, you know, some of the some of the conversations about the money out there in baseball. Manny Machado, right, in uh San Diego not really wanting to renegotiate his contract. He wants to see what kind of money's out there. He might opt out. 
Uh, I think uh, Tony Clark from the MLB Players Association said, we will never agree to a salary cap in this game. So, yeah, there's silly money out there. So, will Shane Bieber maybe just, you know, finish up his years here in Cleveland and go chase that money? Maybe. So, would it be nice to have Esposino ready to take over as that next Cy Young-level ace uh, with maybe McKenzie as his number two? Uh, Yeah, sure, that'd be great. But that's not the way a Major League Baseball team is built. It's built to give you options and a hundred different chances at it. So if it's not Esposino, then maybe it's Gavin Williams. Maybe it's Tanner Bibby. Maybe it's a guy you've never heard of before who is pitching in the Dominican right now. Like, honestly, that's the way a Major League Baseball is built. So it sucks. It sucks that Esposino is held back again to start the season because of another injury. Does it mean his career is over? No. Does it mean his opportunity to become the Cy Young ace of this team is done? No. It just means we're going to have to wait a little bit longer for him to climb that ladder and get to where he needs to get to, get to where he can get to. But there's no, I, I saw people on Guardians Twitter kind of losing it a little bit. Uh, there's just, there's no, there's no need for that. It's not the way Major League Baseball team is built. So take your focus that you had on Esposino, focus it on someone else, a Doug McKay. You know, there's so many starting pitchers in this in this organization. Maybe it is Cody Morris. Maybe it is. Maybe he gets a chance to start at some point this season, and he pitches so well we can't take him out of the rotation. So I know it sucks to have your number one prospect in your organization go down with an injury. I know some of you love watching the prospects, and I, I do. I enjoy watching them grow. But... uh yeah, you got to be ready to move. Got to be ready for the next guy up uh, in a Major League Baseball franchise. So, I wanted to cover that. Uh, I know some some of you were some of you were like me. Some of you are totally chill about this. You say, "Hey, what, whatever. Give me twenty five guys, twenty six guys." Now we're up to on the field wearing Guardians jerseys. I'm gonna enjoy the game, uh, and that's kind of kind of the way I am. But uh, I know there's others of you out there that take this stuff. And these prospects are really serious. So uh, I just wanted to say that as a word of warning as we enter spring training here. Um, yeah, there's there's so many pitchers. There's so many pitchers. Someone will step up and someone will blow us away. And the Guardians pitching factory is not done churning out amazingly talented pitchers. So, uh, yeah, so Esposino is dealing with that injury. The other one that's interesting is Miles Straw. And if you paid attention to the way they talked, they were talking on the radio. I was bouncing back and forth between the radio and the TV broadcast today. And Quan's interview, he even talked about Straw and how they have this chemistry out there now where they just, I mean, they lock eyes. They don't even have to call it. They lock eyes and they know what's going to happen. Um, which, you know, a little bit. We complain during the season. That sometimes I just wish these guys would just call it. But, hey, they got that chemistry out there. Um, the way they're talking, they're talking like Straw is the center fielder. I thought, you know, maybe Brennan would push him a little bit for playing time. Even Roman Quinn, who had the home run today, surprising home run, uh, could push Straw a little bit for playing time in center field. But the way they make it sound that, look, we've got a gold glove center fielder. He's going to play center field. He's going to bat ninth. 
whatever he gives us at the plate, he gives us. But we're not turning away from a gold glove center fielder. So uh, his defense and his speed uh, and his attitude is definitely going to keep him uh, in that center field spot. The injury will slow him down a little bit. It will give guys like Quinn and Brennan a little bit of playing time here in spring training uh, to kind of fight for that that uh, fourth outfielder spot. But, yeah, from all from the way they make it sound, they make it sound like Straw, they believe, they still believe in Straw. I struggled with Straw a lot last season. But uh, they, the organization still believes in him. So, We'll go with it, and we'll see what he can deliver, what he can produce. If he could, t- you gotta, you gotta hope that that was just a down year for him, right? It happens that that was just a down year, and that he's gonna figure some things out, work with this new hitting staff we've got, and uh, who's been able to be helpful to so many players so far, and uh, maybe they can get Miles Straw going just a little bit more, just get this guy on base. Uh, and let him steal, let him be an insane nuisance on the base path. Uh, there's, man, there's gonna be there's so much speed. There's so potential for so much speed in this lineup. All right, let's move into uh, Chris's email. Uh, you remember a couple ways to reach out to the show if you want. Uh, Chris from New Jersey emailed in. It's Cleveland Baseball Mornings at gmail.com. Also got a nice uh, tweet message from uh, TJ, who was a longtime listener, first time messaging. He hit me up on Twitter, at Davey Barris, and uh, sent me a nice message about Zanino and called him uh, the booby prize of the offseason catcher market, but still an improvement. So I thought that was a funny line from TJ. So uh, Chris Chris said, hey, Davey, great to hear you back on the podcast at Cleveland Baseball Mornings. Like you, I'm just excited that we're almost there to spring training exhibition games. It was a long few months without baseball. I'll definitely applaud the front office for getting the job done in the offseason to fill two biggest areas of need, bringing in first base DH Josh Bell and catcher Mike Zanino. A couple of questions to send your way. First question, which starting pitcher do you think has the best chance to crack the opening day rotation beyond the current expected group of Bieber, McKenzie, Quantrill, Savali, and Plesak? Well, you know, I would tell you, Chris, I thought Cody Morris might be that guy. Uh, we'll see what the injury does um, to affect that. So that's going to be a big question mark on him. Uh, the other ones, man, I, some of these guys, I just, I don't think they're ready. I don't, Hunter Gaddis and Xavier Curry, I think they're starting at AAA. Um, you know, we saw a lot of Connor Pilkington, but not super impressed with him last season. He filled some innings for us, a lot of those double headers, but you know, not super impressed uh, with anything there. Uh, I I gotta say, Cody Morris might be otherwise maybe one of these one of these non roster invited guys uh, like Tuki Toussaint, who's the guy we picked up from you know Atlanta. I don't know how much time we've had to work with him. Uh, here with our pitching staff and our coaches, but uh, he had some things he needed to work out, some control issues from Atlanta. So I don't know. He was a guy who was knocking on the doorstep in Atlanta. Could we turn him around that fast and get him ready that fast? Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. But, I mean, Cody Morris, that's got to be the guy, right? you got to focus on him as the first guy in line to maybe steal one of those uh, rotation spots. 
All right, his next question, which couple of players among the signed minor league contract non-roster invites are most likely to make the opening day 26-man roster? All right, I got two answers for you here, Chris. The first one is going to be the obvious one. It's one of these invited catchers. Cam Gallagher, uh, Mabris Valeria, Valoria, uh, both guys coming from that Kansas City system. Uh, they they both at different times played back up to Salvador Perez. I got to think uh, Valoria is 26 years old. He got into today's game. Uh, he was the second catcher to come into the game today. I got to think that maybe he has the first crack at it, uh, the first look at it from the coaching staff, and then if he doesn't have a great spring, they move on from there. So that would be the obvious answer to who's going to crack this 26-man roster from those minor league invite non-roster guys, one of those backup catchers. Um, and then, I mean, David Fry technically is a non-roster invite. Uh, he's I don't think he's, he's not on the 40-man roster. So uh, if he could make it as the backup catcher who can also play first and third, it does give you a lot of flexibility, although I don't see him playing much third base here. Uh, being able to play first and catcher might help him out. So it'll be interesting to see, but I think he would count as your question as a non-roster invite. Um, The other one, the other non-obvious answer is one of these left-handed pitchers because I believe Sam Henches is the only lefty kind of penciled in for one of those bullpen spots. So they brought in some guys like a Philip Deal uh, like a Caleb uh, Berger, guys that are left-handed. Andrew, Miz- why wow, I can't even nope, I can't even say that. There's a couple of S's and a Z in there. Mazizik. Uh, so there's a couple of lefties that they brought in, and I gotta think that one of those guys, and uh, that does include on the 40-man roster Joey Cantillo, uh, Tim Heron, who is added to the 40-man roster, uh, and Connor Pilkington. Uh. I got to imagine that they're going to be looking to find one more lefty to maybe fill that final bullpen spot. If you look at the names from last year, there's really only one spot open in the bullpen. So, yeah, it's not surprising that they invited some of these guys who are left-handed. And I'm frankly, I'm shocked that they didn't invite more left-handers into camp, frankly, searching for one more arm to be a lefty out there in the bullpen. So, that's my less obvious answer of who I think could crack this uh, opening day 26-man roster. So, Chris, I appreciate the questions. I appreciate you pushing me to think about those things. All right. That's all my thoughts on this Cleveland baseball morning. A fun episode to kick off to celebrate the first game's action on the field. I got baseball highlights popping up on my phone right now. I love it. We are back. Now, is winter done with us for us Northeast Ohioners? Probably not. But uh, at least they're playing baseball out in Arizona. At least we got some blue skies to watch on our TV when we're watching Guardians games. And uh, whatever the Cleveland winter throws at us to finish out its last month or two. So uh, go enjoy. You got another uh, 3 o'clock game today uh, against Texas. Who's on the mound for us? Plesak is taking the mound against Gray over there for the Rangers. So go enjoy that uh, on this Sunday afternoon. And then, uh, yeah, 3 o'clock games until we hit that daylight savings time. So 
enjoy those. Uh, I know I always enjoy ending the workday listening to a little bit of baseball. So enjoy, and uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the team, on spring training battles, on Frank Kona's pregame, preseason speech, and we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. Let your voice be heard. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball morning.